Dispensing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios podcast. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat. Dinner is served. Well, hey, everybody, we are live yet again, and this is Joe McCarthy of Mojo Studio. Happy to be here with my longtime friend and mentor, Rick Olson of Rick Olson Seminars. Rick, where are you today? Joe, I'm in steamy, hot Wisconsin. <laughs> One doesn't often associate those words together. But Joe, right. we are in an unbelievable stretch. We are now, I don't know, like day nine or, nine or 10 of a 90 degree plus thing. That sometimes happens to us around July 4th. That never happens in early June. And uh, fortunately, I'm in an air-conditioned room right now. But uh, my little world has about had it with 90-degree stuff. We're not wired for this sort of thing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and uh, I'm in Southern California in Orange County, and it is what it typically is. 70 degrees, clear outside, light breeze coming off the ocean. I am spoiled, I am spoiled, I am spoiled. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. So uh, we are continuing our, our series called Speak Up, which really is about the profession and really more so the mindset of what makes a really good communicator, right? And Rick, you've been doing this for a living now for 30 something years. Uh, in fact, maybe more than that, because before you were in professional speaking, you uh, in the business world, you were in the, the youth ministry world, which is where you and I met. And I still remember, and I've told this story before, that the first time I met you and you're standing on the stage and you're telling this hilarious story about being the slowest, whitest tight end on your football team. I could identify with that. I was the slowest, whitest tight end on my football team. And you All catch right. this breakaway, <laughs> catch this breakaway pass, and you're like, this is it. This is my path to glory. And the whole team, including the linemen, track you down and pile on you 10 yards into the into the run. And I'm like, yeah, that's a story that I can relate to and I will remember <laughs> for the rest of my life. And here I am. 35 years later, telling that exact same story. <laughs> yeah, in my mind, I was I was a fabulous athlete. I just uh, was not blessed with speed, nor could I jump very high. And uh, you're quite limited as an athlete if you don't have speed and you can't jump very high. I, uh, I did all right. I was able to start on my football team. I was on the golf team. I was on the basketball team. But fortunately, Joe, I uh, went out for drama and debate and speech. And that made all the difference. My future was not in football, but I tell you what, I had a drama teacher knocked every fear and inhibition out of me. Little did he know that Rick Olson would be in front of crowds the rest of his days. And so now today, when I talk to high school students, I say, look, sports, those are the glamor positions. They're fabulous. I'm so glad I did it. But man, teenagers get into drama, debate, speech. If you develop poise in front of a crowd, the world is just going to open wide open to you. Absolutely. And for me, uh, that was music. So I, I was into sports as well. And I was always the kid that could make the team, but then sit on the bench. You know, I go to all the practices, do all the workouts, yeah. and then sit on the bench during the game. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but when it came to music, now there's a place where I could excel. So I, I became very good at trumpet, as you know. 
Well, I want to comment on that because you're so good at whenever you're the host, you're always uh, building up other people, talking about their exploits. I just want to tell your crowd, I know Joe McCarthy. I've known him for a long time. He's not a good musician. He's a fabulous musician. All right. Joe, you are extremely gifted in music and uh, your music has taken you around the world. So anyway, I commend you for that. I kind of dabbled in music, but man, you were very, very good at it and still are. I, every time you do a trumpet thing, I just love to tune in and listen. So kudos yeah. to you. Well, thanks. But, but I think the parallel there is we, we learned confidence and poise and get over the inhibitions of our own self by performing, right? You performing as right. a drama and speech and debate. Uh, and I did a little bit of that as well, and then got that same gifting and uh, talent because of being able to perform on the trumpet, sometimes with the band, sometimes solo. Um, but I think this, the end result is the same. And I would say my athletic days are mostly behind me, right, as well. I mean, I can play in the church league softball team to some degree, but when I get on first base, I'm asking for a runner, right? Because those <laughs> days are behind me. Right. But but I can still play trumpet and I can still perform on the guitar and I can communicate. I can communicate well, and I'm learning from you how to do that even better. So I'm thinking longevity, right? As you're speaking to the teenagers again, do the great stuff, have fun, but realize that's that has a limited lifespan, but communication and music, those things are a lifetime investment. I know when, uh, when Gary Zaleski and I used to speak to teens back in the eighties a lot, one of the things that we would talk about is we would talk about the kids who were academically inclined or maybe inclined to drama, debate, speech, et cetera. And if you're a total jock, there's a good chance that maybe you labeled some of those people as a nerd, okay? But one of the things that we would say to them is, you may call them nerd today, but 10 years from now, you're going to call them boss, all right? So everything is going to change here in the future. And I, I don't know that I figured all that out when I was in high school. I, I, I'm not sure that I, I know I did. I didn't see the end result. I'm just so grateful that I did get into those things, which sharpened those skills that develop poise in front of crowds. It's amazing how world the world opens up to you if you have poise in front of a crowd. Absolutely. What makes an effective communicator? This is more than just being a good presenter, right? I mean, this is part of it. Part of it is being a presenter. But if you want to be an effective communicator, there's there's far more than the nuts and bolts. In fact, we were just having an offline discussion where you can be really, really good at something, but still fall flat because there are elements that that are emotional. There are elements that come from your personality or or your connection with the audience that's far beyond just the mechanics of being a good communicator. And that's what I love about being in your speaker school and now partnering with you in this podcast is that you address both of those things. There's the how-to, the nuts and bolts. More importantly, there's the why, what's your motivation, which we've touched on already. But then there's this the part of what's, co what's coming out of you and what's being communicated beyond the words. Yeah, John Maxwell said it so well. He said, you have to touch a person's heart before you get their head. You'll, you'll never get their head until you get their heart. And I've often uh, felt that as a speaker, how do I get the heart of these people? Uh, last week I was speaking in Nebraska. I didn't show up empty handed. I showed up with a lot of cheese and a lot of sausage and a little taste of Wisconsin for the people. 
Well, if they were anticipating a good presentation, they were over the top when all of a sudden I'm talking and they're eating some of the finest tastes to come out of Wisconsin. That is one way to touch somebody's heart. My wife has been a caterer for a year. She's one of the best cooks I know. I can't tell you how much she has meant to my business. Couple things. Number one, any sponsor who hires me during the course of a year, in December, they're gonna get one dozen homemade truffles from Lori Olson. And as our doctor says, these are better than Godiva. So every year that they hire me, they get truffles. Some people, Joe, I'm convinced hire me <laughs> to make sure they get the truffles in December. <laughs> I don't care what he did for our people. As long as I get those truffles in December, what do I have to do? I'll, hi I'll hire him. I'll bring him back. So we get the truffles. But she has sent me out, out of the door with uh, caramel apples, with truffles, with chocolate-covered cherries, with sugar cookies with their names printed on it. I mean, she's just poured out her heart. Uh, and she connects extremely well with my crowd. Some of them have never met her, but they absolutely love Lori Olson. Uh, so together, together doing what we can to impact their lives with information, but to touch their heart on a very special level as well. Yeah, and so, and we talked about this too offline that in some respects, the, the gifts from Lori Olson could be could come across as a gimmick like it's a marketing thing just to to you know to grease the wheels and make sure that people remember you it does all of that but when you put in then the heart part of it where you you say this is with love i really care about you i care about you and your company i'm so happy to be here then you deliver the goods right you you make yeah. your presentations you talk to the people and it's not just a how to presentation but it's I care about you. I care about your success. And as you have said many times, and, and this has become my mantra, I'm not here to impress you. I'm here to draw greatness out of you. Now, you can say that or you can do that. And you do both. You, you say that and then you do it. And then that's when people say, I want to have you back for you and your truffles. It really is the compass of my life. It's the true north in my life. Uh, my uncle helped me and that has become my mission. I am not here to impress you. I am here to draw greatness out of you. Uh, my goal is not that you walk out of the room and say that was great. My goal is simply that you walk out of the room and say, I can do that. And that's the end game. That's, that's, what I, that's what I'm striving for. If they embrace that and if they say I can do that and they make positive changes, I, I don't have to worry about myself. I don't have to worry about my future. I don't have to worry about next year's bookings or anything like that. Just keep feeding into people's life, build their confidence. They can do this. I'm going to be fine. And it's going to be fun to watch them and their company grow. Yeah. I was just reading a, an article like an hour before we went on the air. And it's about a book that I haven't read yet, but now I really want to read it called Atomic Habits. And I'm reading this review of Atomic Habits. And the first thing is there's a big difference between motion and action. And I thought, what, what's he talking about? And they went under this very wonderful description that we can often confuse motion like we're doing stuff as from action where we're actually taking steps to, to progress, to, to get better, to make changes, to become who we want to become. And I think that's one of the keys to becoming a great communicator as you are, is that you don't just 
give people motion. You just give them stuff to do for, for stuff's sake. You actually give them practical steps that can get them to a, a desired goal, which is to be an effective communicator. I know today I was doing some Zoom training and we were talking about the 15-5 uh, rule. It's one of my favorite uh, concepts in customer service. The 15-5 rule means that when a customer shows up, enters your lobby or whatever, within 15 feet, when they're within 15 feet, you need to make contact. You need to acknowledge your presence. Eyes up, big smile, welcoming. That has to happen when they get to that 15-foot part. When they're within five feet, you need to be verbally communicating. Good morning. It's so nice to see you, whatever you're saying. But I love teaching that kind of stuff to people who are service providers. And instead of just saying, be friendlier, engage people. Hey, let's look at the 15-5 rule. So there's an actual distance there. At this point, you know that when they get there, you need to be locking into who they are as a person. And they, when they get within that five-foot mark, you better be the one being the host, welcoming them in, making them feel glad that they're there. So it's not just, just a matter of uh, giving them fluff and all these great, oh, we're going to be friendlier, we're going to be faster, we're going to be this, we're going to be that. Specifically, what does that look like? What does it look like to make somebody feel, I am so glad I came to this place. I'm so glad these people are taking care of me. I do what I can, uh, do the best I can to make sure that it's, that it's practical, that they can walk out of the room and start applying it within minutes. Yeah. And uh, one of the great things that I got out of speaker school and I want our listeners to, to get out of it as well is for, for most people, and I'm not wired this way, but for most people, standing up in front of a crowd is just, it's unnerving, right? It's like their biggest fear. And there's lots of reasons behind why people hate that and they just dread it so much. You are very good about helping people get past that roadblock to where they can embrace the fact, hey, I can do this and I can actually do it well. That's a progression, of course. Um, but to, to us a little bit about that, Rick, about how do you get beyond, this is the biggest fear in my entire life, but I can embrace it and I can do it really effectively. Let's talk about that. There, I think there's a number of practical things that we can do to calm ourselves, to uh, help ourselves uh, just be a calm presence up in front, not a stressed presence, not a nervous presence, but a, but a very calm presence in front of people. So here are some of the things that I I do, Joe, when when that time comes. Number one. It's a principle that I've lived with my entire life, and it just says, assume people like you. That is how I've chosen to live my entire life. I never walk into any relationship, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one relationship or a relationship with 500 people at a conference, where I have nervousness about, do they like me or don't they like me? Am I who they thought I would be, or am I somebody different? Are they disappointed? Are they excited? That's a very dark place to go if you start going down that path. So when I walk out on the stage, I, I really don't see it as arrogance, but just this, this calm, quiet confidence. I believe these people like me. I assume they like me. What I'm now going to do is I'm going to like them. And that's going to come through in everything I do and say. And they, they don't have to like me, but if they choose not to, 
I'll make it very difficult for them. <laughs> I love it, that. it is hard. It's hard to hate somebody who loves you. Okay. Right. And yeah. so if you're worried about it, what happens is you get real neutral or defensive. Let's say you started speaking somebody on the second row got up five minutes into your speech. You could go into a freak out mode. Oh my word, this person hates this and walked out. And you could be a basket case in that moment. If you're neutral, there's going to be no energy. Neutral would be, I don't know if you like me or not, you know, but I'm going to see how you treat me. If you treat me well, I'll treat you well. And nobody wins there either. So right. for, for, for me, it's always proactive. I'm going to assume you like me and I'm going to treat you that way. And 95% of you are going to reciprocate. And I'm just fine with that. So that's a yeah. big part of it. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I can identify this and I know that a lot of people do this as well, is that in the absence of information, you start to fill in the blanks. Like you're making up stories about what the motivation was for this person that got it from the second row and walked out. Now, this says a lot about you. This is a good thing to examine because if your head goes to they don't like me, they're, you know, they're walking out because they think I'm a jerk or I'm not delivering the goods. That'll put you in a really dark place. Right. right. Uh, but also says it says how you feel about yourself. It doesn't say about how what they feel about you because you don't know what they feel about you. You don't know. You don't know. So so I'm always of the opinion like, well, I, since I don't know their motivation and this is kind of what you've taught me, just assume, you know, their baby is sick at home and they got to go. They have an emergency or or they should have went to the bathroom before they walk in. And now they, they can't hold it any longer. You know, you can make up something oh. fun or funny to realize or, it has nothing. It has nothing to do with me. That's right. Or the best of all worlds, they sat down and went, oh, my word, this is so great. I'm going to go get my wife and get her in here. She's got to hear this with me. Uh, right. it, could, it could be that, too. But that that is kind of the, the base point for me. When I started as a speaker, I never feel neutral about the crowd. I never feel defensive. I feel very positively. I assume that they like me. I treat them that way. Um, secondly, another big thing for me is the crowd is a car and I, as the speaker am the accelerator and the car is idling and the car is going nowhere unless I step on the gas. I've got to step on the gas. I've got to hit the gas. So I tell my speakers never, ever start with an apology. And I'm guessing you've heard them, Joe, and I have too, where they start well, first thing I'd like to say, I'd like to apologize because right. at, at yeah. that moment, I want to walk out of the room. I don't care yeah. what you're about to say. I don't want to hear. I don't want to take a half hour or an hour when you're apologizing. Uh, it, it just sets the tone for a downer experience with the crowd. Yeah. Come in. You're excited about what you're saying. You're excited about the opportunity, about what they're going to learn, about what they're going to leave with, etc. So hit the gas right away. Yeah, I'd like to put that in more context, too, because I know of the story you told me recently where you were traveling from one state to the next and the planes connections didn't happen because of the weather. And you had and I'll let you tell the story in detail, but you had lots of reasons to show up and give excuses and it, you chose a different path and, and you got a different result. Give us a little uh, a synopsis of that recent scenario for you. Yes. Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago. So it was right. supposed to be two days in Texas, two days in Louisiana. Flights worked out perfectly for that to happen. 
except about the time my flight was to leave Austin, Texas, monsoons rolled through Texas. And I was at the airport three hours early, and it just sounded good. Okay, we have a delay. It's going to be 20 minutes. I've had a three-hour. 20 minutes is no big deal. Second delay, third delay, fourth delay. The fifth delay finally knocked me out. This isn't going to happen. And then there's a six and the seven. So anyway, everything went horribly wrong. It was a long, frustrating night. And I knew I would not get to Baton Rouge for my morning presentation. I'm the speaker at nine o'clock in the morning. I'm not going to be there. People are going to come from around Louisiana to hear me. I won't be there. I'm talking to my sponsor. My sponsor is gracious. I'm saying my wife is on this. She's working on it. We're coming up with the very best possible plan. And the best possible plan got me there at 12 noon. So bless their hearts. These people were very gracious. And when I got there, they said, Mr. Olson, we know you haven't had lunch. We have a sandwich for you. I said, you know what? That'll be later. I don't need to eat now. I've got people that have been waiting for three hours. I'm going to get in there. Went into the room. Never said a word about hardly sleeping a bit that night. The airline frustrations, the fact that they didn't have my luggage, the fact that I didn't have anything I needed, all that stuff just went in. We had a fabulous three hours. I worked about all the other disappointments later, but we had a great three hours. So. No, that's that, that's not a time to uh, trouble the, the audience with your woe is me story. Uh, they, they came to get help, uh, inspiration, direction. And a part of being a professional is you bring it, whether everything is silky smooth or it's a very rocky road. It's still a part of being a professional. You bring it every time. That's awesome. And in, in, in both cases, so we've talked about assuming that the crowd likes you right from the get-go. And then we talked about you never start with an apology. In both respects, what I'm thinking of is is you reap what you sow. So if you sow these seeds of self-doubt, then people are going to doubt you. If you sow these seeds of self-excusing, then people are going to, you know, they're going to have that same mentality. So in essence, you are controlling, in the best sense of the word control, you're controlling the outcome that you're going to get just by planting seeds of positivity and I'm a professional and I'm here to deliver and I'm going to deliver the goods. You don't, you don't know the backstory and you don't need to because that's only going to bring you down. So you, you're planting the seeds that you want to reap. Absolutely. You do reap what you sow. And so right from the beginning, starting off with that quiet confidence, I'm here for a reason. There's some other good things to keep in mind. One is that somebody wanted you to speak there. So somebody probably at the top of the food chain in that organization said, we want Rick Olson, the speaker. We want Joe McCarthy. He's our guy. So you don't go out there as a volunteer. You go out there as a fully sanctioned, endorsed person, uh, a speaker. The highest person, the highest committee has signed off on you. They want you. And so you go with that confidence that I'm not just out here doing this little experiment I'm going to try. I'm fully sanctioned and endorsed by this leader, by this organization. That in itself is confidence-inducing as well. Some people could look at the fact that I'm being paid, I'm being sanctioned, I'm being brought in as the guy. They take that as pressure. 
Like, can I fulfill their expectations? Am I, am I really going to live up to that? Right. And so then you've placed those seeds of self doubt. Like, can I live up the expectations? But what you're saying is another way to look to that exact same circumstance is that when they hired me, they already gave me their confidence, their endorsement that That's right. you are the guy. You don't have to doubt if you're the guy. I'm paying you because you are the guy. Yes. Yeah, they uh, they voted on you big time long before you ever showed up. Maybe it, maybe a year in advance. They looked ahead and go, at that moment, Joe McCarthy's our guy. We're putting him on the stage. We're bringing a 1,000 people. We want a 1,000 people to hear from Joe. We looked at everybody else, didn't want him, wanted Joe. Yeah, I see that as a major confidence builder. Absolutely. Yeah, good. Let's talk a little bit about the crowd. I think it's very important that you know what's going on in the mind and the heart of the crowd. Joe, you've sat through many presentations. When you sit in a crowd and a speaker is about to present, would you ever sit there and think to yourself, wow, I hope this is miserable. I hope the speaker fails. I hope he falls flat on his face. I hope this is a dud. I hope this is embarrassing for the speaker. And my guess, Joe, is you've never thought that when you sat in an auditorium to hear a speaker. No, the exact opposite. I'm just thinking, man, I hope he nails it. I hope he hits it out of the park. I hope this is the most inspiring hour I've ever had in my entire life. That's what that's, I'm hoping. That's it. And you, you have to remember that as a speaker. Everybody walks into that auditorium, and that is their thought. I hope he is, has a great day. I hope he brings his A game. Hopes he has a career day. Everybody is out there cheering for you. They're cheering you on. Nobody's out there hoping that you fail, fall flat on your face, embarrass yourself. Any of those thoughts are all self-doubt thoughts that you put there, but that is not at all how your crowd feels about you. So the sponsor has signed off on you. They're 100% behind you. The crowd is, they're cheerleaders. They're, they're ready for you. They, they want you. All of that is stuff that helps put us in a good mind when we walk out into the uh, into the auditorium. One other thing that you've said that helps me is to remember that it's not about me, right? Because as soon as I'm in this place where, well, are they going to like me? Am I going to do well? Am, am I going to embarrass myself? All those things. That's all questions about me. Well, I'm, I'm not up there to present to me. I already know the material. I'm That's there right. to present it to them. I want to make an impact on their lives. And as soon as I get out of the mentality of, Am I going to succeed or fail? Am they will they like me? Will I embarrass myself? And I and I get to the point where I'm concentrating on what do I have to offer? What do I have to give? How can I impact their lives? How can I make their lives better? But that that changes that anxiety level down to almost zero because it's not about me anymore. You're just in full I'm going to help you mode. And that is a great place to be. If you came across an accident, and you were the first one there, you would be 100% uh, engaged, pulling the door open, pulling the person out of the vehicle, calling 911, doing whatever you could. You would not for a moment be thinking about you. It's just, I've got to save this life here. And everything I'm doing is focused there. Same with the crowd. 100% of the focus is on them. What, what can I impart to them to give them a skill, to give them a level of confidence, to give them a hope? What can I do to bring them to that point? And now I'm out of the equation. They're right in the center of everything. 
And that's a very healthy place to be. And that'll, that'll keep you from being overly stressed as well. Yeah. And as we all know, in the crowd, we have pretty keen intuition to whether the speaker is up there for himself or herself or whether the speaker really cares about me in the audience. I mean, it, within seconds, I think, maybe it's minutes, I don't know any stats on this, and you can speak to this even more from experience, but the crowd intuitively knows within the first few seconds of your speech if you're there for yourself or if you're there for them. They do. The, uh, the speakers who I do not care for at all are the ones who will start something, tease you a little bit, not give you the conclusion, not give, give you the formula, and then we'll tell you, but you can get that on my table at the back if you buy my book, if you buy my package, all this. And then here's another little teaser, and we never really give it to them, but they have to buy it at the back. Those are the ones that drive me nuts. I'm going to surprise you when I speak at what I freely give away, okay? I'm not holding all these secrets to myself. I'm going to give you a whole bunch more. And Stephen Covey probably helped me a lot with that. He just talked about living life with an abundance mentality. There's yeah. enough to go around. You don't have to withhold. There's always more. Be generous. Give freely. So if you came in and thought you might get a couple tips, I, uh, I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to give you many more than you thought. It's like, oh, he didn't even charge extra for that. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's such a win-win because if you do have an abundance mentality, then you, there really is limitless things that you can give. You might give away everything you thought of that day, and then you'll come up with more stuff to give the next time around because you believe there is more. There's a limitless supply of great inspiration and motivation and ideas. And quite honestly, whether if people are going to call you back or not, you're, you're going to stand out because you over-delivered, you gave freely, you gave all that you had, and they're going to say, that's the kind of person I want to hear from again, not the one that teased me with a little nugget and then said, but if you want the tree, you know, you got to pay me another $1,000 or more. Right. I have uh, one of my sponsors that I'm working with right now. I've worked with a sponsor for 10 years, wonderful person, and she got a hold of me recently and just said, Rick, all my early leaders... They didn't hear the great stuff that you shared with us in those early days. And I feel really bad for them. They're left out. So I want to find a plan now so that they can get all the great information that we missed or that they missed. We got it, but they missed it in their early days. Uh, and that's a wonderful relationship to have with somebody. And when you are freely giving and you're putting a lot of energy into what you do. And I do, Joe. I'm, I'm reading constantly. I'm constantly stretching myself. I sent you that book review today. You liked it. I read it this morning yeah. myself. I'm ordering it right now. Yeah, this is going to be a big part of me going forward as well. But yeah. always sharing with people where there's help and where there's more help. When you do that, you become a very valuable resource for people and they want to keep you around. I can imagine the skeptics in our audience who are listening in, especially those who are like, I want to make a living, you know, being a speaker, that it would be very easy for them to think, well, that doesn't seem like a sustainable business model, right? If you give away all your stuff up front and you're not making the, uh, the upsell, right? The upsell is the whole yep. appeal. So the business savvy people might think, I don't think that's a sustainable business model. But you can say with, with great confidence, 
after 30 years in the business, it not only is sustainable, it's it's a uh, very a great model for success. It really is. And and when I when I started, Joe, I was a uh, I was a keynote speaker. Rick's a guy that would come into your convention, give them a great hour, jump on a plane and fly to the next city or fly home. That's stimulating. You get a lot of applause. It feels really good, but it lacks gratification. You never get to see the the implementing of your ideas. Mm. You never get to watch growth. And I have really switched over from the world of keynoting to the world of consulting. I don't work with nearly as many companies as I used to. I just work very in-depth with companies right now. And so I will go back four times a year to help this company. And sometimes it's year after year after year. And I'm watching companies grow in a phenomenal way. And they're telling me, Rick, you are a part of our company. Rick, you are one of us. Uh, that That's incredibly gratifying. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have heard you say, too, and this is really good for people to hear that, in those relationships, when you talk to a crowd, you don't have an us them mentality. You are saying, we, I'm part of you. I'm one of you. I'm here with you, not for you. And I think that's really important for people to hear. It is. And just a little bit more on the crowd and connecting with the crowd. When I speak, unless I have a, uh, a flight challenge, like I had down in Texas, getting over to Louisiana, if I don't have that, I am the speaker who's going to show up early every time. And if it's a crowd I've never spoke to, there's a good chance you'll find me sitting in the back of the auditorium and uh, just I'll go sit with three or four people that showed up to start talking to them, find out who they are, what they're doing, what today's all about, and just get a feel for who they are. And I'll move around, talk to a few folks like that. And of course, these people are all stunned when the program starts and all of a sudden the guy that was sitting with them that they thought was just a coworker that they somehow didn't know. I'm the guy yeah. up in front speaking to the crowd it's like, oh, my word, I, I had no idea that's who you were. But I, I try to do that constantly. And just that connection with people has helped immensely. Not being afraid to be in the back of the room. I don't have to be at the speaker table. I don't have to be side by side with the sponsor. I can be out there mixing it up with people, connecting with them. I do that for my crowds that uh, have maybe never heard me. The ones that have heard me and that I know and some of this consulting stuff I do, I'm still going in early and I know them well enough. I'm asking, so how how's golf league going this summer? You know, and and so did, did, did you get to go to your child's graduation? Did they have a public graduation or did it end up being a, a COVID private thing? And, and just talking real life to people, that stuff makes all the difference. So as a speaker, put in the extra time, build those relationships. Uh, they're going to they're going to bless you in every way. Yeah, this is good. And we're going to continue this series. We've got uh, tons more to share. One thing Rick is doing now and has been doing since COVID started is having a speaker school virtually where people come in from all over the country, tune in on Zoom, and Rick teaches these principles of effective communication, which I am a graduate and proud to say I've got a certificate from the Rick Olson Speaking School. And as we've mentioned before, the benefits are not just 
the nuts and bolts and the and motivation for being an effective communicator, but also the networking opportunity and the relationships that are made and the people that I met in that class now have become close friends and partners of mine who I never would have met any other way. So all that to say, I would encourage the listeners that if you want to become a better communicator and have the benefit of networking with others who want to be excellent at that as well, uh, check into the Rick Olson Speaker School at rickolson.com. Thank you, Joe. You're very gracious. Uh, it's one of the uh, most gratifying things I'm doing right now is just taking those who wish to be more proficient, uh, more poised, have an impact and, and spending time with them and networking them with other people. It's just been the joy of my life to connect with these folks. And so we do this on an ongoing basis. Let us know. We'll tell you when the next school is about to launch. Information for connecting with Rick will be in the description with the podcast. So uh, Rick and I are fully aware that time is a precious and non-renewable resource. And so it is really our intention that if you spend time listening to what we're talking about, that you get a high return on your investment, that, that, that the cost-benefit analysis is in your favor, right? And that's really the intention of being a communi- great communicator is that the people will receive far more than they ever expected. Uh, and that's, that's a win-win for the speaker and for the audience. So on behalf of Rick Olson and Rick Olson Seminars at rickolson.com, Joe McCarthy at Mojo Studio, thanks for tuning in and stay tuned for our next Speak Up episode when we dive more into how to be an effective communicator. If this episode was beneficial to you, be sure to pay it forward, sharing it with others who may need a boost as well. Until next time, dream big, start small, act now. Thank you for tuning in.